Hello, friends. It's your Chapo for this week. Uh, joining me is Matt Christman. Hi. Felix Peterman. Hello, everyone. And Brendan James. Hi, everybody. Sitting in as our guest this week, we're joined by our friend Leslie Lee. Leslie, what's going on? Not much, man. Uh, it's great to be here. I have to say, I've been in a few trap houses, and this is one of the nicer ones, <laughs> I have to say. That's one of the things... That my, people... my, it's a trap home, and it's coming together. Yeah. I've yeah. got these plants here now. Soon, I'm gonna, soon there's going to be a TV. Um, That's one of the things people, people get mad at us about when they're like... Uh, really? You're going to call it Chapo Trap House? Do you realize the connotations of that? And I say, you mean business ownership? (laughs) (laughs) You know, as someone who I literally lived uh, across the street from a trap house for most of my life, and, you know, it didn't start out as a trap house. It started off as, I don't know if um, white America knows about this, but there's this thing called Dixie Cups, and old black ladies in the summer will sell them out of their homes. And it started Mm -hmm. off, she was slanging the Dixie Cups, and then she passed away, and all her drug addicts took it over (laughs) and became a crack den, basically. So that's why I lived across the street from uh, for most of my life. So that, that was how Bar Rescue started. It was with that house. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's jump right in uh, to the uh, the news of the day. Uh, I don't know if you're like me and actually watched Trump's speech about his new Afghanistan policy last night. Did anyone? Uh, I didn't. I did didn't anyone watch. tune into that? Wait, it was President Trump. I thought it was General. Plato, Sun Tzu, Machiavelli. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, did you happen to see any of this? I watched the beginning. I was mostly watching to see if he came out with like two eye patches on, <laughs> staring at the sun <laughs> like a fucking toddler. All oh, right. Oh yeah. Uh, before we get into that, how was everyone's eclipse? By the way, super good. Uh, it was. I thought it was kind of weak. It was like I, I, like when you put those thick ass glasses on, you might as well just be watching like looking at a picture of it. Like so, I thought it was kind of lame. Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson is right. It's <laughs> like, fucking yeah, bullshit. Yeah, the universe I, sucks. I thought it was kind of bullshit how they scheduled it in the early morning. Yeah. For me. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I, I, I did go to the park to see it with, uh, with my fellow nerds. Um, but we were joined by, uh, there was a, a, a very nice moment where we were joined by two very stoned teenagers who uh, had to be explained what an eclipse was, why it was happening, <laughs> not to look at it. And then they were given the special glasses and like looked up and they were just like, oh, shit, <laughs> that's wavy, bro. <laughs> so I wish I could experience joy like that in yeah. my life, you know, beauty like that. Um, but yeah, so uh, so yeah, Trump gave his, his speech about Afghanistan and South Asia. And uh, the theme of the speech was we're having a new strategy, new tactics, totally different than the old tactics because these ones are about winning. Yeah. It's going to be about winning. We've never had fighting battles with the enemy. We've never had tactics and strategy together. Right. This is the difference about this president. He brings tactics and strategy and business into a tripart effort. And it's a departure from the old old plans because Barack Obama, famously, he went out there, he ran on increasing troop levels in Afghanistan, one of the only things he stuck to. But he would always go, like, I want to lose. <laughs> I, I want to lose. I want us, in fact, to lose so bad that they come here mm-hmm. and institute Sharia on us. Yeah, it's, it's mindset. It's mindset. Yeah. Basically, yeah. Trump yeah. has mm-hmm. mindset and Obama did not. That's true. Obama did 100%. not. He would just go out there and be like, 
Uh, let me be clear. I am. Uh, there will be a surge of troops uh, into Afghanistan to fight the Taliban. But if they just simply wait until January 2014, <laughs> oh, they will win. They will have a victory on the battlefield. I'm uh, sending the troops there, so uh, I have no one to bravely resist when I attack Soda. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, the difference is, is that Trump is going to hold Pakistan accountable right, right. for supporting the Taliban because that's what he's known for. It's getting tough with foreign governments when they – you know, put a shiny object in front of him. Yeah, I mean, unless Pakistan could figure out if you're just nice to him one time, you know, unless they figure that out, we're, like, good. He's going to use business strategy when he meets with the ISI and offers them an opportunity to license his name for a hotel. <laughs> That's going to upend the all The Pentagon is going to just, like, like desperately try to intercept any uh, Zabar's baskets that show up <laughs> to Trump's office from Pakistan so that he completely reverses the, the entire thing. There's a real risk of Trump becoming Diabande yes. if he talks to an ISI guy just once. Yes. But I, beyond that, like, we're going to win this time. Yes. We're going to win this time because we're focused on winning. And as Trump said, for the first time ever, we're going to be using our political, economic, and military strategy in concert mm. to achieve oh, victory. I never and I was saw, just like, oh why God. didn't any leader do this before? <laughs> it's so true. It's like when you're in military, you don't often think to bring economic into it. But then mm. when people bring even bring economic into military, they don't think... What if we had strategy and right. also business and family? <laughs> well, he's going to give all of the generals in Afghanistan free courses at Trump University. <laughs> but, um, I mean, the other thing he said is like, he was like, the one thing we will not be doing is talking about dates. I've said before, how stupid are we? If you give them a date, they will simply outlast you. And I love this idea like that they're outlasting you by the their strategy is uh, living in that country. Oh, those <laughs> devious <laughs> yeah. Actually being from there he actually, and by, having to live there regardless of whether right. the United States be, is there or not is a great strategy. To be fair, though, when he said dates, he meant he wouldn't go furniture shopping with the Taliban. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it, isn't it? Is that we're talking about how essentially what this speech was is the dumbest version of what every president has said for the past uh, basically 15 years. Yet, Maggie Haberman. Yep. Jeff Goldberg. Yep. Philip Rucker. Yep, who got the ratio of all time. <laughs> Worst I've ever seen. Uh, where he said that today, whatever, he's, he sucked him off. He said this is a distinguished, dignified president. This is a new Trump. This new is Trump. a different yeah. Trump than yeah. we've seen before. Yeah, it's and sometimes I think about what we say about the, the media establishment, you know, being so craven and just um, slobbering over anybody who says uh, that war is good and markets are good. And I think, eh, we may be overdue, but then I just... It's just not. It's a parody. It's, it's so explicit. It's exactly what happens every time. This is yeah. I mean, if the if if the same if the if the if the brainiac like a boss college professor and the brain damaged senile game show host both come up with the exact same mm -hmm. fucking strategy for Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe the maybe. Uh, 
they sh- shouldn't fetishize this office like it requires some sort of brilliant mind to deal <laughs> right. with all these complicated geopolitical issues. It's more like it's a fucking engine of empire that serves itself and whatever you go in there thinking, because both Obama and Trump came into office skeptical of American power, yeah. and both of them reversed themselves to surge in Afghanistan because that's what the fucking generals told them they had to do, and they just didn't have the base or, uh, in, in Trump's case, uh, interest or you know uh, will to actually push against them hard enough, then they end up getting what they want. I mean, that's what's so frustrating because, like, Trump, hypothetically, he could have been the guy to get us out of Afghanistan, you know? No, like, if never. If he said, we're out, his his base is happy. It's I mean, I'm sure a lot of some of the fucking dipshit, you know, uh, media libs would be upset and talk about how this is all part of Putin's plan or something. But I think the the mass of Democrats would be presently surprised. But – the generals told him, you got to stay in Afghanistan, and he's too lazy and stupid to actually fight anyone who doesn't present him with an alternative, and so he just gave in. Yeah, and I think uh, McMaster's showed him a picture of a sexy Afghan lady from the 70s, and he did the Tex Avery cough whistle and <laughs> decided that he needed to send more troops. Can we, can we talk about that? Can we talk about how Trump's biggest foreign policy priority is that he is kind of a Straussian, but he thinks that America's defining moral goal is to protect nines and tens. <laughs> it's that's why that's why we bomb Syria. That's why we're going to stay in Afghanistan forever because the only thing that keeps liberal democracy from self-consuming is all the hot women. We're it's, gonna save it's like when Obama said, uh, "I'm against dumb wars." Uh, Trump is just like I'm. I'm for hot wars. <laughs> I'm not for uh, Libya was an eight. There are eights in that country. I would never have gone to war there, folks. But, but Syria, that's some serious. There's a dime. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like, okay, so like, like the, the, I guess the, the crux of the speech you said, like he said, we are no longer nation building. We are killing terrorists. Smart. And like that basically was Obama's plan in the war on terrorism, right? Like he wasn't going to nation build like Bush. He was just going to like snipe and drone people uh, for like you know eight nine eight nine years. And str- right? strangely enough, if you keep blowing up people, they don't start to like you more. I, 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 yeah. I, I like the Democrats have not presented any vision out of this. That's the saddest part about this is like there's no alternative like for anyone anywhere. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen well, any. No. Yeah, that's like, the we, thing. It's like. It is impossible to imagine anybody getting out of Afghanistan. It'll never happen. It's impossible for two reasons. The primary reason is that nation building, unless you have a colonial sized occupation force of millions that no one has the will to produce for any of these countries that we occupy, you cannot build a nation. It's fucking impossible. You can't build a nation using either Bush's team of fucking Liberty University MBAs who tried to build on quote unquote Iraq and you can't do it with Obama's team of fucking brain geniuses and you can't do it with Trump's team of people who are embroiled in lawsuits with Chick-fil-A <laughs> over the difference in displayed weight and cook weight. You can't do it with anyone because you can't do it unless you have an effort similar to the British Empire and even in that case you're killing tens of millions of yeah. people yeah. and for whatever blood-soaked empire we are our the our perpetual war relies on it being out of sight and out yep, of mind. Yep. And if we have millions of people there, it won't work. The second reason there is no such thing as nation building in Afghanistan is because it's never existed as a nation in the sense that we think a nation exists. 
And with whatever little understanding we have of civil society and imparting it on other people, you're going to do it to a place that's mostly tribal, that's so far apart, that has all these factions, don't even talk to each other, that like just sort of became a country out of a weird accident of history. There can never be a plan for it, so you're just going to have this floating number that fluctuates tens of thousands of our troops there that are sometimes they're going to blow up a hospital. Sometimes they're accidentally going to shoot a child. They'll take a photo op where they build a fucking bridge. But at the end of the day, nothing changes. But that is the way that the generals want it. They want to keep selling these contracts. They want to keep, they want to look serious on TV for when they fucking retire, for when they're brought on MSNBC to talk about their very serious wars and geopolitical strategy and how everyone doesn't get it. And so they can sit on their fucking boards for the companies that make these multi-million dollar weapons that blow up hospitals and are supposed to impart democracy on this nation we don't understand. Well, that that the photo that uh, the generals or whoever showed Trump of the the this short skirts in Afghanistan in '77 or whatever. That I mean, the reason that doesn't exist now is because of America. Yes, and because of our policy pursuant of strengthening Islamic fundamentalists to fight against the Soviet Union, which also invaded Afghanistan in a shitty war, but uh, at least did it under 15 years. Shout out, uh, by the way, shout out Adam Curtis again in his movie Bitter Lake about Afghanistan, which is really one of his better movies. But um, yeah, and I I guess like the thing is like, doesn't this all, I mean, uh, not to give them credit or anything, but like this does give a certain ring to the the accusations of deep state that the Breitbart people like to throw around so much because it's just sort of like I think Matt's point was like if there was ever a president who had the political capital capable right. to like actually ramp back our like war machine or like end the war in Afghanistan it probably would have been Trump obviously I never fucking believed he was gonna do that or even like you know the nationalists like Steve Bannon like his plan for Afghanistan was just to hand it off to fucking Eric Prince and run it like the Dutch East India Company or something right Um, so like but the fact that he is basically gonna carry out what would probably have been Hillary Clinton's Afghanistan she tried to warn you by doing the exact (laughs) same shit Um, I think is telling and I think it's I think I think it's telling as to like that you know Basically, in our democracy, like you can't really go against the generals, pretty much. Yeah. And Obama did it sometimes. Like the 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 foreign policy blob didn't want the Iran deal and a few other things. They wanted him in Syria, but he didn't fight it because of how process oriented, cautious, and sort of truly conservative in a lot of his beliefs he was. Trump, though, I mean, the Trump people are funny because. You know, it's just all sabotage. The deep state is working against him. They're both battle the brain geniuses. And it's like, do you think that? Or do you think maybe he's just fucking lazy and doesn't give a shit? Because that's what it seems like to anyone who has actually paid attention to this, that he doesn't fucking care at all. And he doesn't have the personal will to fight any well, of Well, uh, speaking of another fight, uh, I want to talk about the uh, the sort of the... The political infighting now since uh, since Steve Bannon got the boot, and you know Bannon was the one who was tagged as being like you know uh, I don't know maybe like he was the one who said like there's no military solution in North Korea or seemed to make you know faints at this idea that like you know we should be like America first, i.e. not an empire, mm-hmm. but like you know a republic first. Again, mm-hmm. I'm not saying I buy that, mm-hmm. but now that he's out, like you know. 
the 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 Breitbart people. He's like you know, he's retaking his mantle at Breitbart and is going to ride against the enemies of Trump in this big battle between the globalists and the nationalists. And what I love about this is that their big enemy, it turns out, after all, the real puppet masters in this like multi-dimensional, like Illuminati-style struggle for world power and American America's future, is fucking Jared and Ivanka. <laughs> The, pre- the, geniuses. <laughs> the president's daughter is the one who is behind it all. That proves how smart Trump is, that he could only get fooled by a painfully stupid real estate guy <laughs> and his least shitty child besides Baron. <laughs> the globalists are coming from inside the penthouse. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I got to talk about this, though. Uh, this thing just happened today, that this... this the email prankster, I don't know, he's pranked the White House before by getting them to believe idiotic emails. That must be difficult. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he, he, uh, he just did a prank of uh, Breitbart, uh, the editor, their editor, their Washington, D.C. editor, Alex Marlowe, in which he pretended to be Steve Bannon, and they had an email exchange plotting out their, their coming uh, sort of dark war, shadow war against Jared and Ivanka, <laughs> which is so funny, and I, I have to read just a, a little bit from it now. Uh, fake Steve Bannon writes, reading online today about how we'll be... Was bre- that his name in the emails? It was <laughs> fake Steve Bannon. <laughs> oh, that's what a dark genius he is. <laughs> the email address is, this is the real Steve Bannon at USA.com. <laughs> I uh, thought it would have... I think, it, yeah, that's stupid. Everyone knows that Steve Bannon's actual email address is the dang joker. <laughs> <laughs> Darkwing Duck 38. Uh, he says... Uh, Fake Steve Bannon writes, uh, reading online how I'll be bringing forth my wrath on Ivanka and Jared. I'll be doing this great nation a service if I did. And then the actual Alexander Marlowe uh, replies, I spooked him today. Did five stories on globalist takeover, positioning you as our only hope to stop it. You need to own that. Just have surrogates do the dirty work. Boyle, Raheem, me, Tony have been waiting for this. Tony, I'm a soldier. Put me in. <laughs> And uh, and then uh, he uh, fake Bannon like link, links to an article from Breitbart today, and Alexander Marlow uh, replies, "Best conspiracy on the whole internet is Jared as an actual cuckold." And I would like to say that he spells cuckold cuck hold h o l d like he's just holding <laughs> that cuck. And uh, this, uh, this is the really good part. He says, uh, "Let me see what I can do." Uh, this is Marlow. Given your description of them as evil. I don't know what motivates them. If they are semi-normal, then yes, they're out by the end of the year. And then he goes, uh, he, the fake Bannon replies, uh, they're just high on the static of Lame and self-importance, as would anyone be in the orbit of Trump. Did I ever tell you that Donald has red wine decanted through Melania's used pantyhose to catch the silt? That goes no further than us. He told me late night one night after he unwound with too large a scotch, and Marlowe replies, this makes more sense to me than you think. <laughs> and what's hilarious about that is that this is Alexander Marlowe, who's like, Trump is his guy. Yeah. They, they love Trump. And he doesn't realize, like, he, presumably he's worked with Bannon before and like doesn't, under- right. like, doesn't know what his voice sounds like, even in email, but also doesn't know that Trump doesn't drink. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think they just edit that part out of their head with because they think of him as like this like virulent virulent alpha male sort of like daddy, bourbon bastard. yeah sort of bourbon yeah. bastard yeah. kind of I yeah I can't place it I think it's like you know when you're in seventh grade and you have the one kid who's a very confident liar and the dumber kids 
even when the kid is contradictory, the liar right. kid, the dumber kids will believe the contradictions yeah. because it's just so forceful. I mean, this isn't that. This is just someone just literally put the name Steve Bannon on something, and they're <laughs> yeah. like, oh, what? <laughs> no, D- Donald Trump has a Gundam? <laughs> no, but here's the best part of Marlowe's reply. He says, this makes more sense to me than you think. When the best-looking dude in my high school, who went on to play for the Yankees, defended R. Kelly pissing cool. on chicks to me, uh-huh. I knew certain people at a certain stature played by different rules. Chasing dragons, normal people would never even consider. <laughs> yeah, alpha success mindset is have children he, like pee all over children. <laughs> yeah. That's alpha Machiavelli Sun Tzu Plato, dude. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, that's what, uh, yeah. So what is he going to do when he finally gets his nut and gets successful? Like, what is he planning? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's ominous. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> I've been waiting until I had the right bank account <laughs> to become a sexual deviant. Yeah. I never see you at the club. Well, I never see you on the Lolita Express. <laughs> <laughs> Again, like, it's now, it's only Ivanka and Jared are left standing. Only Gorka. It's Gorka is it's the Gorka, last man Ivanka standing against the Ivanka Jared. Uh, Stephen Miller is still there. Yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah, you're right. Stephen, God yeah. bless that troll. Yeah. yeah. Wait. So still there, d- being creepy and issuing some sort of viscous fluid from his sebaceous glands. Leaving a strime trail wherever he goes. So why was Steve Bannon out? Like, I never heard a reason for why he was kicked out. Bannon, like, didn't get along with anyone yeah. in there. Yeah. And it was just a case. It was a long time coming. It was a case of, like, so many of the problems with this White House can be attributed to the fact that they clearly never thought they would actually win. That's why Flynn was yep. still taking money from Turkey. That's why all this dumb shit was happening. They had no transition team yeah. in, in the first place. So... And you have Bannon, who's a sort of like paleoconservative faction, but there aren't any really paleoconservative think tanks that could draw on to staff the White House. And you could find people, but like Bannon and Trump are just like both like lazy old dumbasses, and they're not going to do that. They're just going to fill it with heritage people. But then you combine like the RNC cuck people, like Rince, like Reince Priebus, and I know I said that wrong, but uh, <laughs> and, there's no right and, way and, to say that. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> You combine that and then like the nationalist faction and it's all these people who never thought they would have to work together who are meeting each other for the first time and it's like, lo and behold, they hate the shit out of each other well, and no, it actually, works terribly. I, Felix, I like I like your theory. I think your theory makes the most sense is that like they realize that Steve Bannon was a strategical and tactical genius who's read Sun Tzu Machiavelli and that made Steve Mnuchin afraid. Yeah, Steve Mnuchin Mnuchin in cabinet meetings there was a problem where he would hide under the table when Steve Bannon would come in and do the, he would come into the meetings in Joker makeup and a biker (laughs) jacket and it was all very cool and very (laughs) scary and they're like, no one is signing any of the currency because Steve Mnuchin is too afraid. When Bannon comes out here and says, to aggravate your enemy, kill his messaging bird. He doesn't know what it means. It's too cool. It's from Sun Tzu. You have to leave, Steve. It's all very scary. Steve's in cabinet meetings and he's the Joint Chiefs of Staff and he's like, to quote Sun Tzu's Art of War... Just when you think you can't do no more, <laughs> do some more. Uh, Steve Mnuchin is like, ooh, I wanna, I, I, I wanna, I wanna do a, a globalist bill. And Steve Bannon goes, as they say in the Forty Eight Laws of Rich Dad Poor Dad, your blog is your empire. Was <laughs> uh, picturing it like the Dark Knight where they're all at the table, and then just from the back in the other room is ah ah ah. ah, ah. <laughs> Bannon walks in, he's like. 
You want to know how I got these liver spots? <laughs> <laughs> Let's put a polo on that other polo. <laughs> <laughs> um, here, here's another uh, another item I saw today that I, I knew we had to talk about. This uh, this is again more of the White House infighting, uh, courtesy of the uh, the right wing media. This one's from the Daily Caller under their entertainment uh, tab. The headline is. It's high time Baron Trump starts dressing like he's in the White House. And I got to say to that, stop, slut, shaming, Baron. They're trying to drag Baron, yeah, guys. Protect Baron at all costs. What, protect, is, protect what, is, Baron. what is Baron doing wrong in the Daily Caller's okay. estimation? Uh, he's walking off Air Force One dressed in like a T-shirt, shorts, sandals, and, and, and fidget spinning. Yeah, the, <laughs> the only reason Trump's agenda is stalling is that Baron Trump won't wear a sailor outfit and lick a lollipop. So, <laughs> this is really good. Uh, the name of uh, this article is by a guy named Ford Springer. <laughs> I can't believe it. Every time. <laughs> a real name. But uh, let's, let's read from this article. It says, uh, I've been on the Baron Trump train from the start, but it's about time the president's <laughs> son starts dressing the part. <laughs> um, what? A lot going on there? He's uh, been, he's uh, been uh, on the Baron Trump train <laughs> since day one, guys. That may be the most that has ever been going on with a piece of writing ever. <laughs> okay, so he says, Baron is the youngest son of Donald Trump and the only child the president shares with Melania Trump. Uh, thanks for that little uh, okay. update. Interesting. Uh, time and time again, Barron has proved that he's just a normal 11-year-old kid, <laughs> despite the fact that his dad is president of the United this States. This is such a and, Disney movie yeah, trailer. Yeah. Time and time again, Barron's just a normal kid. <laughs> oh, what? He's eating Tostinos in this situation? <laughs> there he goes, uh... One thing that isn't normal, though, is the way he dresses when he joins his parents for a public appearance. Barron was returning to the White House from New Jersey on Sunday, and while the president and first lady traveled in their Sunday best, young Barron looked like he was hopping on Air Force One for a trip to the movie theater. You're right. This is like a Disney first kid. Remember he was Sinbad? First kid. Yeah. yeah. This is the first kid movie. Um, And he goes... Think about how many times your parents forced you to dress up when you were a kid for a special occasion. No matter how hard you resisted, it was inevitable. You weren't leaving the house until you had your tie on, your shirt tucked in nice, and your hair combed and a blazer on. Is, is that the reason that you write like this? <laughs> yeah, because your parents like made you yeah. wear a suit. Contributing to go to the editor movie Norman Bates. That's not how it goes to the president's youngest child. Donald Trump and Melania always depart the White House looking their best. The president wore a fine tailored suit, and Melania oh, yeah. wore. <laughs> yeah, he's got a giant Scotch tape all over his giant fucking tie. Yeah, yeah, he look. The suit falls over his body like the cloak fell over Elephant Man's head. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Uh, he goes. Uh, Melania wore an elegant dress that was just as draw dropping as the last. <laughs> it looks like it came from the Gap. It's not that nice yeah. address if you yeah. look it up. Uh, but then he says, but then Baron steps out in a T-shirt, khaki shorts, shorts, and some suede loafers. What am I missing here? 
Is Baron just better than I ever was at rebelling against my parents? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd put on the blazer and tie and comb my hair and all that, but as soon as my mom turned her head, you better believe I was messing up my hair and loosening my tie. Yeah, this good. guy's a rebel. This, this is, is why he writes to the Daily Caller. This is psychotic. <laughs> this is <laughs> because, the worst. But the, <laughs> hell, I might even undo a couple buttons on my shirt if I was feeling like a real badass. Uh, Ooh. Is there is no air in this guy's sh- shoes. Like, <laughs> He ties them to the point that he's doing foot binding. He goes, Baron doesn't have to worry about all that, but he should. His dad is always looking dapper, and his mom has become a worldwide fashion icon since becoming first lady. (laughs) The youngest Trump doesn't have any responsibilities as the president's son, but at least he could do is dress the part when he steps out in public. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Ford Springer. Yo, you step to Baron Trump, he's <laughs> fucking with the out, trap dude. house, Stopping buddy. you out, dude. Yo. What a weird bone to pick, with the, even from the conservative side. Yeah, they're talking about him like he's a black kid, basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is that this is an example yeah. of them being fair, fair-handed, because it's like, hey, we called Malia Obama a slut a bunch of times, right. and we're going to show that we are you know, even-handed, because we think that... Baron is also a little slut. <laughs> Baron, a Baron's naughty gonna start, little hussy. Baron's going to start hanging out with Timmy Thick. <laughs> um, that is how it works at the Daily Caller, though, have, having been a media reporter, is that it really does work where an editor comes in hungover or still drunk and just goes, and is like, boss, what do we write today? It's all still popping off. He says, just call Baron Trump a slut, <laughs> I guess. Does, has anyone done that? Daily Caller, like these special editorials from Daily Caller, they have the same tone as when like an older male family member gets too drunk and tells you that he really respects you despite you being seven years old. <laughs> it's the same uncomfortable tone. Uh, I like. I think you know the tone of this article, though it's very Home Alone, and that's full circle for Donald Trump, who appeared yes. famously right. in, in number Home two, Alone two. Yeah. and now as the president with a very normal brain, could logically forget that he left <laughs> Barron somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, look, I know I fucked up. I didn't think uh, the uh, presidential limo would be that hot. <laughs> Melania is up there on Air Force One on the way back from Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Melania just goes, Baron! <laughs> if any president would leave his kids somewhere, it would be Trump. Oh, yes. my God. Baron, home alone in the White House. And it's fights off globalist invaders yeah. with a series of hilarious pranks yep. and yep. booby traps. Yeah, G- Gary Gary Cohn and Steve Mnuchin just yep. getting paint hit with paint cans. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Crystal turning on the, the bathroom light and his hair gets lit on fire. And you can see his skeleton being lit yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jared happen. is dumb enough to hear like a 1930s movie and think, it, think it's a real gangster. That's what Trump does. Yeah, <laughs> to keep him out of his room and shit. Oh no, I don't want. I did, I don't want to keep the change for once. Yeah, that is one thing Jared would never say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I want to work at Daily Caller, just get shit faced all day. You know, write an article about just any crime that I've seen on Facebook, and then my other articles that are like. You know, in the Victorian days, uh, uh, we would make boys wear fancy dresses. Why don't we do I'm just asking questions. I saw something really funny about the Daily Caller the other day where, like, that guy Matt Lewis, who's, like, one of their, like, 
he's one of their like cuckservative correspondents. Yep. Yeah, he's yeah. like, you know, hand across the aisle, have a beer together kind of guy. Was defending the fact that uh, Jason Kessler had written for them in the past. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> one of the Unite the Right organizers. <laughs> the other day no. called uh, Heather Hayer a fat slag a fat communist or whatever. Or whatever. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's before good... and then the next morning, immediately disowning that tweet by being like, "I was on a lot. Of, I was self medicating with alcohol and pills." Is and that I, what he said? Yeah. And he said, "I don't remember what I did last night, but I deeply apologize. I have a lot of learning to do." Oh my! Hell God. yeah, dude. No, but uh, Matt Lewis was uh, defending. Uh, having published Kessler at the Daily Caller in the past, and he was like, look, Kessler was co- doing some gangbusters reporting on the issue of MS-13 dismembering teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, I would... Normal website. Yeah, I would love to work at the Daily Caller. Is there any job openings? Um, Not that I... Well, I think we could be, like, you know, the official correspondent for when gang members kill people who accidentally flash their traffic lights. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like that type of a thing. Yeah. And then just side boob. Side boob, side boob yeah, correspondent. Uh, you, you won't... Yeah, exactly. Like, you won't believe what this giant fan just did to... Uh, the IDF's uh, <laughs> all-female division, that would be, That would be funny if, like, there was a Seymour Hirsch coming up now, but he spends <laughs> his career at Daily Caller, and yeah. he's like... I, I talked to the generals, and uh, they said that uh, we haven't fixed any of the technology that is showing us the same levels of side boob. And it's a huge <laughs> cover-up. The president knows that uh, Jennifer Lawrence's uh, nipple slip and the red carpet will make your jaw drop. <laughs> Born to fap. <laughs> the world is a fuck. <laughs> 600 billion side boobs. Um. So yeah, uh, once again, that's uh, covering things that are going on in the White House. Uh, outside of the White House, I guess, following up on uh, the show we did with uh, Suja, where I said uh, I wasn't going to make fun of or talk about uh, the hashtag resistance <laughs> anymore. So I'm just going to get other people to do it for me. So uh, Leslie, you're as good a correspondent on these people as anyone. Probably you, the best. Probably actually, the, yeah, yeah, one of the best, actually. So can you... Can you update us on what's going on in uh, the world of Democratic liberal Twitter? Okay, so um, they were they've been shamed, named and shamed basically about the whole alt left thing. Like mm-hmm. the New York Times and lots of other journalists called them out for basically doing um, what turned out to be neo-Nazi propaganda. <laughs> because if there's an alt right and there's an alt left, then it's both sides of the same thing. And that's and Trump use it in a speech and none of them really have any kind of response like when you call them out like Nira Tandon hasn't really said anything she, and like I I really have a special place in my heart for Nira Tandon because she makes m- millions and millions of dollars for cap and I have no idea what the fuck they do with it like I've asked her several times like what do you do besides get owned on Twitter all day <laughs> like why is like you know you know uh, Saudi Arabia giving you you know all these endowments and grants if all you do is get dunked on by gay commie 216 <laughs> online you know because it's not like they are doing anything like writing progressive policy or anything that can be used to you know make the world a better place or anything she did follow Virgil back though oh yeah oh, she, she did do that. That. and that cost cap 10 million dollars for some reason <laughs> so that's where the money is going yeah. but yeah they've been um, they, they're doing the don't have you heard, have you talked about the corn cob thing we talked about the corn cob the one thing we didn't discuss was the donut yeah. thing because I just it's like of what little I know about it it's just so stupid that like 
I can't even fathom it. Like it's just so. Shout out to the corn cob people because they weren't normal weird Twitter. They were like the wine mom division of weird Twitter, and they started that shit, and it drove like near a ten and fucking insane. Like and all of them because they were being owned by like all instead of like they couldn't call them brochelists because it's like thirty five year old women with like three kids in their avatars, and they're just like you're a fucking corn cob, and it was cute, <laughs> and it was cute as shit. So their thing was as soon as Nina Turner. Um, complained about what was her treatment at the DNC, which was really shitty because she worked so hard for Bernie Sanders, which was working hard for the Democrats, I would think. And she complained about the fact that, you know, they basically locked her out and they tried to bring her donuts and water, which is, um, in case anybody doesn't know, that's like a strike-busting tactic, right? It's a classic boss move. Yeah, and so all these people who spend all their days saying how how the left is full of sexist and racist decided to make their avatar as an attempt to mock a black woman for being treated like complete like complete shit by the Democrat Party. And, you know, that's what the donut is. Like, I hope they're real proud of it. Yeah. It's right. cool. Donald yeah, really Trump's cool. gonna use that too. Yeah. <laughs> Nina Turner, disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, he's gonna get uh Barron to put the donut in his display name on Twitter. <laughs> and then they're gonna have to pretend like they never did that. And then but if they could, they've already got Trump to say alt left and fake news. If they can get Trump to talk about like how rude our show is, <laughs> that is jet ski money for us. That is fucking. It'll probably happen. To be honest, it'll probably happen. Uh, Matt, the one thing you said again as a joke, one hundred percent came true about the corn cob thing. You said the only way that this could be about like rape is if they knew about William Faulkner's sanctuary. <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, someone did dig up that literary gem. Well, yeah, I mean, you saw they obviously just like Googled like crazy to find corncob anal, corncob rape, corncob <laughs> <laughs> corn fuck. You know, you remember those uh, when AOL's uh, search logs got released like 10 years ago? And it's like it, actually John Hendren did a really funny article uh, about it where it's just like the most awful evidence of like just people searching you know 18 things in a row and just like <laughs> slowly descending into madness I can just picture one of those right exactly what you said Leslie just like the DNC people just being like corn cob and then every filthy possible thing they can think up and imagine interracial corn like, cob yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cut corn cob yeah age regression corn cob <laughs> but um I guess like the, like uh, of of political note uh, for these people is like I don't know did you, did you guys see like the uh, the story this week about how uh the DNC is having a damn hard time raising money. The, I think like, we have more sn- small donors. Than the <laughs> yeah, DNC at this point, like the the sort of like Perez Ellison slash DNC is like really kind of like they're they're kind of shitting the bed when it comes to raising money for uh, candidates around the country. No the, way. The, Democrat or like you know woke liberal take on this is like oh you know more purity politics right. I guess you'd rather have no money than corporate money right but then Matt I think as you rightly pointed out like they're not raising money from small donors either yeah that's the fucking problem is that they're not getting any small donor money it's not a question of not getting enough fucking corporate cash or the fact that you can't even tell the difference between those things and how your fucking funding source determines the politics that you're kind of allowed to follow as a party just shows why these people are fundamentally incapable of just grasping any of anything about why they're in the situation they're in and how they're doomed to fail for the rest of time. Or as we've talked about before, like why Bernie Sanders was so successful with so many small donors, right? And they're like, oh, we need the list. If only we had his list of donors. And it's just like, well, like, 
it, it's because he had like a political message that people believed in. Not say so the shit yet. he was saying then. <laughs> yeah. You can't just expect to get the same amount yeah. when you don't say all well, the shit he said. Hold on a minute. Said. They don't need to say that shit because they have their own brilliant ideas. One of which was the, uh, an email this morning uh, to potential donors criticizing uh, Donald Trump for <laughs> not following through on his promise to build a wall with Mexico. Brain <laughs> strategy genius. I saw the best thread on Twitter last week. And it was this like very like doofy looking white dad, and it was a photo of uh, Charlottesville, and he replies like N words, all of them, and someone goes what? And he goes, no, I just think we should like flip it around. We should call racist white people the N word. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and it's like it was so it was so like earnest. Oh it was God. so like earnest, and he thought it was such a good idea. I'm like, he would. Do a better job than anyone. That <laughs> the Why are you following have. John Podesta? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, like like these like DNC mailers, where like they make it seem like like it's a debt collector or something to get you to open it. They should just have like like the, the front of the letter is just the N word, and then it's yeah. you open. It's like now that we've got your attention, <laughs> that would be better than what they're yeah. doing. If they, like I think the next resistance thing is probably going to be like yeah. At the same time, we're all going to go in the street. And we're going to call Donald Trump the N word <laughs> because he'd hate it the most because he's racist. Right, and if he doesn't. If it doesn't make him mad, that's an impeachable offense because it proves he's racist. Yes. But that, like, if they just get that reply guy, like, that's honestly a more direct strategy than being like, sir, you didn't nuke North Korea or build the wall, which is, like, mind-numbing. What the fuck? Mr. Trump is chickening out on liquidating the untouchables. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Mr. Trump, your gas chambers aren't even big enough. (laughs) Like, what is the, the tactic there? Like, like, even if you were talking to Chuds, that would still be a bad thing to remind them. I guess they're just like teasing. They're teasing him for like not living up to the things that he campaigned on. I think it's like West Wing shit. I think it's like they imagine their entire I- internal monologue is in this like very Bartlett rhythm, yeah. where they're like, "And you lied about this, and your hotels, yeah, blah blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. and you did this with Russia, and by the way, you, you're not going to build the wall." Right. So they think of this as a crescendo to like yeah, an epic yeah. mic yeah, drop. Yeah, because rant. All, because they're basically media critics because yep. they learn from West Wing and The Daily Show that politics is just picking apart your opponent's argument and policies instead of proposing any of your own because they don't have any. So right. all it, they can do is react to what Trump does or doesn't do and, and just sort of pour out his hypocrisy or something and think that that's going to make people just by tidal gravity go to them as opposed to just get sick of everything and tune out. Yeah, it's like it's like they were doing this whole rant that no one was listening to and then this was the crescendo. It's like if you were telling the aristocrats joke and no one in the room is paying attention to you, then you just stand on the table and shout, the aristocrats! Yeah. And people are like, are you having a fucking stroke? This is the same thing as that. But like, like Leslie, like when you, when you engage with these people and like you argue with them like uh, online, like you find like, is, is there like a sort of like a standard template like for what these, is what these people believe in? Like do you, do you ever get to a core of what they believe in? Or like what is your... Like, are there are there different kinds or like different levels? Like, what is your there's, sort of like? Uh, there's sef- definitely different levels, but I find that the number one thing they believe in is the inherent goodness of supporting the Democratic Party. 
Like that's the main thing that drives them. Like they have picked their football team and their foot and the, not cheering for their football team doesn't just make them a fan of the team. It makes them noble. Like this is part of that identity and character. And like it, and oftentimes a lot of these people, it doesn't go any deeper than that because they'll tell you, oh yeah, I support, you know, single bear healthcare, but fuck Bernie Sanders because he, you know, criticized the Democrats and like, there is no con- coherent ideology. It's not about ideology to them. It's about support of the party because I think a lot of these people spend a lot spend a lot more time on Facebook because if you spend time on Facebook and you post a bunch of John Oliver and pro-Democrat shit, people will tell you what a good person you are and like what a great human being you are, and that's all it takes. And so they bring that same sort of fire um, character, I, I should say, to Twitter, but it doesn't work out for them because on Twitter there's people who actually have political beliefs and ideologies and actually, you know, want to improve people's lives, you know, and they don't understand that or get that. So that's why their first attack is always, you know, if you're a white guy, I call you a white brochureist. If you're a black guy, I call you Uncle Tom. If you're a woman, um, just uh, call you a, uh, you're there for the boys, right? Like, it's all the all that shit because if you take apart their if you expose they have no ideology then you expose that you know what being a democrat doesn't make them a good person like they have to do a little bit more work than that right yeah i always think about that sign i saw at uh it's a picture of one of the protest workers if hillary won we'd be at brunch right now yeah. and i think <laughs> that's the reason that a lot of these people are mad at trump yep. because i'd say about 75% of the things that Trump does that are bad are things that were happening anyway. Like, ICE was rounding people up anyway. We were bombing all these countries anyway. Yep. People were getting squeezed out anyway. But it's just so much more explicit. And you can't put it out of sight, out of mind, because it just, instead of Obama going out and making a nice speech, you have uh, just President Dumbass like tripping over himself, staring directly into the sun, and being like, uh, we should kill children? And... <laughs> You can't go on with your normal life. Mm. And I think to some people, the worst thing that can happen is that they have to see all the violence and horror that underpins their very comfortable existence. And by the way, they are still at brunch. They are still, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But like, um, have you ever like got someone to like, someone who is like liberal or in this very like Democratic Party mindset, like to... Like, do you, do you see there's any possibility for change or moving to the left? Every some of these so people? often, like um, Sam Sway, right? He's he's a big guy on there. He's a friends with the Rays part part of stuff. Like, I kind of dragged him a couple times really harshly, and he actually DM'd me and said, "Give me a call," you know. And we talked about some shit. Like, we didn't agree on probably anything, but I explained to him basically where the left is coming from and why when he says certain things in certain ways, like when he tries to you know, dunk on, say, Bernie Sanders, that's taking not as just a criticism of Bernie Sanders, but the criticism of the left as a whole, and people use it as such to attack, you know, leftist policies. And so when he does that, that's why I have to go at him, because, you know, he does actually care. He does have some legitimacy. He actually told me he used to be a communist uh, <laughs> back in the day. I don't, but he's he's more in a, like, uh, we need to be more practical and realistic. Yeah, yeah. Well, what happened? Uh, did he come home from school and his dad was like, well, what if uh, you st- you studied and uh, the girl who didn't study, she got your grade? 
And then he went, that sounds bad. And he said, welcome to the Democratic Party. <laughs> <laughs> what if we let every kid in the neighborhood have your Nintendo? Yeah. It reminds me of something that you said, Felix, uh, a while ago. Was, I think it was the show we did after the Women's March, one of them. And you said it was actually quite encouraging to see some political uh, passion coming from the center again. Because under Obama, that was just it was just completely checked out. Unfortunately, I think that political passion... It's it's still it's still not clear to me that like it's going to be used for for anything good. What? Like it's it's just going if it's just going to be turned against any desire for for redirection and any desire for change to just score these uh, points in battles about the 2016 primary. It may it may be even worse that they're yeah. re-energized. I mean, so, the only sliver of hope I see is every once in a while after I've insulted somebody twenty times at a certain point, we'll get to the point where we're just tired and I'll say. Just follow some black leftists and see where we're coming from. Well, that's the way to do it. And I leaked them to that, and that's and that that gives me some hope. You're like a Saul of Tarsus. You're just converting <laughs> everyone with a sword. Maybe that is the only hope. Just before 2020, you've you've uh, like dommed enough people <laughs> to, to being leftist. Never stop posting. I will never log. Yeah. I will never log off. I will make my enemies log off. <laughs> that's beautiful. But uh, just like like thinking like about like so like the sort of splits between some of these people or like or any potential useful fractures like a lot of the uh the sort of like the hillary people i find like a lot of them are basically just republicans they really like hillary like like a lot of people forget like the 2008 thing the democratic primary how that was like the obama hillary primary was a million times nastier oh, than yeah. the Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton and Hillary primary. did and everything Hillary, that they accused he, Sanders. Oh my of. God! Yeah, like they went full full dog whistle on Obama yeah. in in that primary. And uh, Sidney Blumenthal spread the photo of him in quote unquote Muslim garb <laughs> in the, the Mario this toadstool. Outfit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah totally. no, we we talked about that. And then like and then like after Obama won since the nomination, there was like the whole Puma thing. Party unity, my ass, or it was like again, like the, the, these, again, like sort of like middle, you know, boomer, sort of like white suburban wine moms who like Hillary was their girl, and they, like, you know, the line was that this underqualified man, wink, wink, like <laughs> stole it from her, basically mugged her in the park, and uh, if you look at the the data on that, like more of those people ended up not voting in the general election or just voting for John McCain yep. than any like Bernie Sanders supporters sat out. Or well, what was that? What uh, Amy Siskind? Or Amy yeah, Siskind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She was the one who came out to say like I'm voting for McCain because he nominated Sarah Palin, a woman. That's do- more art of war, genius mindset. <laughs> yeah, that is genius mindset. But I do think. All right, so the numbers of those people were bigger than the numbers of Sanders people uh, who abstained or voted for Trump, the most mythical beast yeah, they're trying to find. There may but be like a dozen nationally who did. They're me. Cassandra Fairbanks, <laughs> All Felix tw- Peterman. Yeah, <laughs> me and my wife, Cassandra. Uh, they, But at the same time, while we're looking at numbers, this group that we're talking about it is a very small group of people in the larger sample size of the Democratic Party. And... Look, if this group was really energized to really p- take the party and hold it on the center, we would see a different small donor amount. I think that we get a distorted view because we look at people with like just everything wrong with their brain and like a big following of people with yeah. a similar like abandonment disorder that makes them think that Hillary is their mom. And we think that's the entire Democrat, that's the entire base of the Democratic Party. And it's not. And 
the thing I said about the Women's March uh, is that, yeah, you saw a lot of like very normy signs out there. You saw, you know, fucking uh, Putin and Trump kissing and shit like that. But it's also like you saw stuff out there about like everyone should have health care. Yeah. Like these things where it's like I think a lot of people who call themselves like independents or centrists or liberals, their sympathies when you actually talk about what they want, they're more with the left because the program of politics and policies just makes more sense. And I think obviously there's a big struggle against this hegemonic media beast, but it's also like, you know what? A million people at most watch MSNBC. The democratic party is falling apart. These people are fucking losers at the end of the day. And it's not impossible to sway millions of people to the left. It's already happening. Well, this the what question I was about, is like, whether it will be too late. Like, well, this is what I say about like sort of like the, a, a useful fracture is like, not like the Hillary people, like I said, basically are just Republicans, but Hillary is their person. And therefore the democratic party is their ticket. But like other, the other ones who, who identify as progressive liberal, or even on the left, I think, you know, yeah, like they, they would say that I, I believe we should have universal health care. I believe that, you know, uh, you know, we should have a le- you know, like a non-imperial foreign policy or things like that. But I think it just like it breaks down in terms of like, uh, st- like, you know, strategy or like what's the right means for pursuing that. And they see the Democratic Party is like the only way that that can happen or the only thing that's holding back like the worst beasts imaginable oh, they'll in, learn in the right they'll <laughs> learn though they'll learn I, like i was at that point like you know maybe eight years ago right but like i'm at this point now where i'm like bring out the fucking guillotines because the democrats <laughs> aren't uh, gonna get it done so like i feel like those people you're talking about it'll just take another couple of ass kickings and they'll figure it out that like the democrats are not gonna be the salvation yeah, well, it's the problem for the, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm of the opinion that, I mean, you really got to just fucking give up on the party, like for, like spend your efforts elsewhere. The party, oh yeah, is, d- don't wait for them. Just get out there and do all the shit you want to do with whatever it is, fucking DSA, PSL, uh, on your own. It doesn't really fucking matter. Anything is more useful than working with the Democrats right now. But choose life. Yeah, choose life. But if you, <laughs> if you were invested in the Democrats, you should be panicking because time is fucking running out before the, the midterms. And all we've gotten so far, back when the election, you had Dangerous Donald, and then after he fucking wins, they go, uh, Democrats, 2000, whatever. Have you seen the other guys? We all laughed at that. And now it's fucking... The, a better deal. A, then a better deal. And now it's fucking... Uh, Trump isn't building the wall. Shouldn't he be doing that? Like, this is just... This is pathetic. They're still not picking up single payer. It's lying there on the table for them. And they're doing this fucking... The thing today with the mail, with the debt collector strategy. Very in touch. It's just... I, I, I don't believe it. Like, it's, it kind of you boggles the mind. You haven't heard... Fight song two though. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. It's got everybody. It's got Adele and Beyonce, and Barbara Streisand. They brought Judy Garland back to life with Eldritch Magics. <laughs> the all the all your favorite dead celebrities are now hologrammed into one big sing along. Yeah. But Leslie's fighting the fight, and and you're fighting the battles of online. You're playing on legendary. You're yeah. fighting with the people who are like almost certainly not going to come around. But as Felix said, the rest of the population should be a lot easier to talk to. Yeah, yeah. you're Master Chief. You're fighting like the Covenant diehards. Yeah. You're not going to convert them, but like the. Um, the elites who see you, they're like, oh, holy shit. Yeah. This is a virtuous warrior. Yeah. yeah, I pick off a few every 
now and then. You yeah. know, I, I, I bring, a, I do a thing or two. Well, the, you know. Well, the other funny thing about alt left now that uh, Trump is saying it in the context of uh, Charlottesville is, I would think for like most people, if they're hearing alt left for the first time in this context. Like, it's a bad thing. They're like, wait, the people who are fighting Nazis, like, well, that's actually pretty cool. Maybe yeah. we should look into, like, what this alt-left is all about. I don't know. Hopefully. In conclusion, don't worry. Be happy? Be happy. Just don't worry, Kofefe. Don't worry, Kofefe. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you want to guys, uh, you want to dive into this week's uh, reading series? Dessert. Yeah. Let's have some dessert. This is a, this is a spicy dessert we have for you this week. Some fucking mole. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, Matt, Matt, what are you snacking on over here? Sounds good. What? Matt, are you, are you snacking on something? No. Oh, 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 sorry. It's sounding a little crunchy over there. <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am sitting on a literal garbage bag, so that might be it. <laughs> um, Throw me in the train. <laughs> um, uh, this week's reading series, as... Let's be honest, the vast majority of them uh, come to us courtesy of the National Review. Yep. Uh, this was the one that came out uh, this week um, in response to Confederate monuments and statues. What to do about them? Some people want to leave them up. Some people want to tear them down. Yeah, I have no idea where the Natural Review would stand on this. Like, <laughs> I'm really excited to um, <laughs> yeah. find out. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, they, they, if you're a conservative, you stand athwart a statue of Nathan Bedford Forrest and yell, stop, don't tear it down. No, what do you think of the history? Yeah. <laughs> Rules and suggestions for preserving statues. <laughs> this is by uh, Arthur Herman, who is, I think, from the Hudson Institute. He's one of these uh, academic book, book, mm. uh, yeah, senior fellow at the Hudson the Institute. The Hudson Facebook Institute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I bet this guy has really strong opinions on work ethic. Uh, the need for people to work from he his is fucking <laughs> know-nothing job at some bullshit fake fucking think tank. Matt, actually, uh, funny you bring that up because he is the author of Freedom's Forge, How American Business Produced Victory in World War II. <laughs> Great. Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. If there was one group of people who had a plot to win World War II. <laughs> so the, uh, the, the headline here is... Confederate statues honor timeless virtues. Let them stay. The subhead is don't let extremists on both sides destroy honor mm. and valor, mm. even as they seek to destroy everything else. <laughs> he goes, uh, Arthur Herman begins here. There are times when I wonder if we're coming to the harsh, bitter end of the American experiment. The weekend of August. Inshallah. <laughs> the weekend of August twelfth was one of them, and it's not just because when I had my birthday party. Yeah. Um, oh. He says him and his wife. Lives he was in really mad about Adam winning the tournament. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so he goes first. Of, he goes on and on about his wife and him live in Charlottesville. Who gives a shit? But he goes. Uh, here's what he goes. He goes first of all, they are not Confederate monuments. They are monuments to the dead, soldiers who fought and often died for the Confederate cause. They were erected years after the Civil War, uh, as we've discussed previously. Yeah, so yeah. Like quite a Specific few years, years after the Civil Very War. Weirdly coincidental years <laughs> that corresponded to uh, solidification and expansion of uh, white supremacy. These monuments were dedicated to memorialize the courage and sacrifice that these Southern men, and in some cases women, one of the sculptures in Baltimore pulled down earlier this week was dedicated to the Confederate women of Maryland. 
brought to a cause they believed at the time deserved the last full measure of devotion that their northern counterparts brought to theirs. Of course, some of those who paid for and erected these statues also believed that cause had been right, not wrong, but in the final analysis, they are monuments to timeless virtues, not to individuals. Okay. How is that... Well, but their names every, on the every statue. Every fucking army in history has had people. They all died valiantly or whatever the fuck. If you think that fighting in a war is inherently virtuous, which is what he's saying, yeah. then every side and every fucking war in history deserves monuments everywhere to it. Yeah, yeah that's why they have the emu statue in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fucking deep cut reference there. <laughs> Look it up, folks. It was a real war. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, this, yeah, no, Matt is exactly right. Uh, this mentality regards basically all wars as like the battlefield. In, in the conservative imagination, the battlefield is always like the proven grounds for virtue, for honor, for sacrifice, for glory, for time, for timeless qualities like that, and not just literally like just an abattoir of just cruelty, murder, and just like the degradation of humanity. Like, the literal worst thing you can do is have a war. But, <laughs> uh, these are all guys who like play command and conquer and like look at the little the quote on the loading screen and they're like. Oh, yeah, I, this Roman guy said uh, in the battlefield, men find honor. One of those dumb quotes from ancient history that we think is profound because a guy who wiped his hand with his ass said. <laughs> but, like, I don't know, like, I, like, I, like if, if you, like, this guy, like, reads about Antietam and how, like, that, you know, creek was just stopped up with bodies and just thought, like, yeah, it's really good that all these young men thought this cause was so brave and just that they fucking bled out their last guts in a fucking river. Well, that's it. That's really like, the base of it, is that they need, if they're going to get future young people to sign up to get fucking ground up in their idiotic imperial adventures, then they need them to think that that sacrifice is inherently virtuous. Right. And, but, you know, and, but like, it, it, he goes on to say here, uh, it is, in fact, the true face of American exceptionalism that we Americans could fight a savage and bloody civil war in which more than 600,000 died and thousands more were maimed and wounded and still be able to honor the heroes of both sides. No, that, it's because they fucking took over after the civil yes, war. Yes, Matt, listen to this next. White supremacy. Matt, those Matt, are, listen to this. Like their, those are like their trophies Matt, of having done so. Listen to this next sentence. That never happened with other civil wars. It didn't happen in Ireland or Spain or Russia, and it won't happen in Iraq. That's right, because they fucking <laughs> finished those wars, all right? They didn't let the losing side fucking, yeah, put up statues and then take over the government for the next And fucking, also, once, once yeah. they got rid of the right-wing government in Spain, they took down every fucking statue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fucking idiot. Well, I mean, I, the Valley of the Fallen, I mean, that, that's supposed to be uh, to, to the dead of all sides— even though the only two people interred there are uh, Primo, or, uh, Juan Antonio Primo de Rivera and Franco, and it was built with Republican prisoner of war slave labor. That's why it's both sides. Because <laughs> no, the, that's the, what they said. They, that's what that's that's the official when they were that after they built it. That was the official Francoist position: is that it commemorated the dead on all sides of the war. Uh, todos los vidas matter. <laughs> So I, as someone from the deep south, uh, Louisiana, um, where we have Confederate statues, I have to say um, 
most people don't give a shit about them in the in the day to day life, right? Like birds shit on them, and homeless people sleep under them. That's it. That's it. And like only when you know we talk about you know taking down these bastions of white supremacy does anyone actually care? Because people don't, Americans especially don't care, care about history in general. Like it's only it's only an excuse to be uh, a racist piece of shit now. Yep. <laughs> that, that's it. That is that's the it. primary use of yeah, history I mean, in America. The, the the only time I see like conservatives supposedly love history, but the only frame I see them reference history in is like. Uh, men today take selfies, but uh, men in the past uh, killed people. But or three hundred. And it's cool because it's an it's it's an analog for yeah. us killing Muslims right now. I was just like uh, I was I engaged with this bizarre woman on Twitter last week. Uh, she's like I forget her name, but she writes for like First Things, uh, the Federalist, the National No Weekly Standard. Cool. She's some like severe right wing Catholic, and she said uh, her her line was something to the effect of. There can be no debate that the Confederate soldiers that these statues were built to are the moral superiors of the people tearing them down. Right. And, uh, like, again, like, this idea about, like, you know, valor and battle and whatnot and, like, the cause that they were committed to fighting for. The cause they were committed to fighting for was keeping people in chattel slavery. Like, that's what they were willing to kill and die for. I mean, not just die for, but kill for as well is mm-hmm. another important part that people forget mm-hmm. uh, is happens in war. What mm-hmm. part? What part of like uh, male development or honor was Andersonville? Was that was that a part in like uh, one of those like self help books that I missed? Was how you should run like a concentration camp where you starve people to death? Yeah. That yeah. Was, where's the Fort Pillow massacre? Uh, fucking memorial. Um, but uh, Herman goes on here to say. Uh, as any reader of Jay Winnick's book, April 1865, shout out Jay Winnick, uh, yep. April 1865. Good book, yeah. Uh, he says, also knows, after the war, Lee also worked for reconciliation between black and white in the hopes that together they could build a new South now that the slaveholding version was gone forever. Wrong. <laughs> it's true that Lee failed and his dream of a new South descended into Jim Crow after he died. No, that, like, what is he, where is he coming up with this shit? Like, like, the guy likes slavery. You know how I know that? He fucking owns slaves. The guy <laughs> likes secession. You know how I know that? He fucking fought for the Confederacy. <laughs> yeah. And he didn't try to do shit after the war except opposed extending the franchise to black people. I love I love the this is true conservative mindset. If you own slaves, lead the army in a war over slaves, you don't really want slaves. Yeah. But if you like sort of make eye contact with a cop, you want to kill them. <laughs> you should be shot dead. But uh, this is now this gets into the uh, the 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 graph of this article that I'm sure everyone uh, saw because it is a doozy. And he goes um, uh, this is, in fact, the best argument that those who want the statues gone can make, that the reconciliation between North and South was done on the backs of blacks and that the end of Reconstruction and the rise of Jim Crow were the price America paid to have peace in the aftermath of the Civil War. From a historical point of view, it's almost convincing. <laughs> Even though what American blacks suffered at under segregation was nothing compared to what liberalism has inflicted on them since the 1950s. 
1950s as it destroyed their families, their schools, and their young men and women's lives through drugs and guns and the gangster rap culture <laughs> lifestyle, which is really a death style. <laughs> oh, my. Death style. Mic drop. And it was like, you know, Lyndon Johnson was just like handing out, uh, you know, uh, uh, jazz records and jazz <laughs> cigarettes and being like, uh, yeah, destroy your families with this. Uh, Hit my line. I've got loud. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! But he just couldn't resist the the reference yeah. to gangster rap. That's there. what Lee. That's what he meant by what Lee was fighting to build the new South with. He was telling people actually it should be called crap music, <laughs> and then he dropped dead, and people were like, "What if, a hero!" If, you know, if he had lived longer, maybe he could have seen. He could have achieved that dream. Mm, yeah, you know? he tried to perform "Accidental Racist" Part One. <laughs> So do Casarios know that there's no such thing as gangster rap anymore? Like, have they turned on the radio in the past, you know, eight, nine he years? He saw the cover of Death Certificate, like, two days ago and was like, oh, it's 1991. I have to... But, like, for these guys, like, fucking Kanye right? Like yeah, a gangster yeah. rapper. They don't have no idea. Yeah, like, every every song now is... Like, like, the new thing in rap is to have, like, dyed dreads and to have songs that are, like, kind of emo. Like Lil Uzi Vert, it's yeah. like all like very kind of emo, and it's like less violent than like really like most like some forty one songs. Yeah, <laughs> it uh, yeah they are all very even when they're young they're very old. The conservatives they oh, yeah. they have their finger on the pulse. Yeah, no, and he he goes on to you know blame this all on uh, Howard Zinn and uh, Noam Chomsky and the totalitarian left or. <laughs> just getting warmed up. There's going to be no statues left in America. And he goes, uh, "No." <laughs> to them, this is not a campaign about racism or slavery. It's one more step in transforming America by effacing and defacing every aspect of its history. Going back to the founding, once Lee and Jackson are gone, attention will turn to Thomas Jefferson. It already has here in Charlottesville, where he made his home at Monticello and at the University of Virginia, which he founded. Jefferson was a slaveholder, after all. What? Who, ac who actually knew it was wrong. Why are so many highways and statues named after him? And likewise, after his fellow slaveholders, James Madison and George Washington. I like the fact that he includes that bit about how Jefferson knew it, wrong, knew it was wrong, like it's an exoneration. Yeah, it's even worse. <laughs> it's, yeah, like, he was an irony bro. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love to own slaves. <laughs> this is you, dude. You own slaves. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he goes, he closes out by saying, so when should those statues come down? I'd say when honor, valor, and sacrifice no longer count for anything in this country. Until then, let them stay. Don't let extremists on both sides destroy the virtues they stand for, even as they seek to destroy everything else. And I guess, like, what strikes me about this is, like, the, yeah, the weird kind of, like, Dunning School, Civil War, historical revisionism. Uh, but also, I think more than anything, it kind of speaks to this idea that we were beginning at the beginning with, uh, that, like, war is just good, and, like, tons of people dying in a war is, like, actually like a good thing and that's a timeless honor and virtue because it like gives us a chance to think about how good you know the d-day invasion gives us was a chance to sucker a next generation of dipshits into doing it right no that is that, exactly that's what it. it's for that yeah. that's exactly it that's how they're gonna keep having O-Fall to grind into or into sausages. Well, it's like, the, like, it's like the way they talk about, like, you know, like D-Day or whatever, which is like, you know, the one war anyone can still talk about is like, you know, well, yeah, there, we were on the good side of that war. You know, we, we probably should have uh, invaded Europe uh, to displace, you know, the Third Reich. 
But it's like, it still wasn't fucking good. I mean, it was right. fucking a nightmare. Right. Like, it just, and they're just like, oh, I just feel like that they're like, they think that like we've lost something because like, you know, not enough of us have the experience of like running into like withering machine gun fire or something. Yeah. And how good was America? Like, did it, did it, what sense of honor was instilled in like American men after they came back from war? They just came back and like just bought a bunch of really loud cars and combed their hair really well. But like, in like <laughs> the actual like, you know, like writings of actual even veterans of the good war, like the fact that they were like came home with the horrible burden of the things they'd seen and done and were constantly reminded of what heroes they were really fucked up a lot of them. Yeah. And like probably and a lot of them didn't want to take part in any of like any of these sort of like glorious celebrations of their, yeah. you know, heroic honored deeds because they knew how fucking horrible it really was. Yeah. The well, macro and- the macro reason is what Matt said, which is that it's to it's to prep everybody to do it again because that's what we do. I think the micro reason that, that that I sense is and this is a cliche, but I think it's true is that fucking what's this guy's name? Andrew Ar- Arthur Herman. Arthur Herman like, you know, we already know he's probably, you know, a meek pale man who has never <laughs> had a fight in his life and he projects all of these ideas um onto the idea of respecting the troops is like a halfway decent way to basically be a troop or like absorb that honor by osmosis and that if he doesn't respect the troops like he'll have to realize he has absolutely nothing uh honorable or noble or good in his life at all and it's just like a psychological cushion for him to be able to say this shit yeah that's why he doesn't have to go to war he's exempt from it because he knows that war gives people meaning but because he already knows that because he already knows the meaning is he he has nothing he has to do here there is one thing they're right about though and that is when they complain that oh taking down these statues is rewriting history and that they're right about that, but that that they think about history obviously in a really wrong way, where they think, "Oh, you're rewriting the facts of history. We're all going to forget it." Like people learn history <laughs> from fucking statues, but it is true that you're rewriting history because re- history isn't what happened; it's the way we assign value to what happened. It's the way we talk about it. And these statues are monuments to times when. The way we talked about the Civil War was in the context of venerating the people who fought it because they were defending white supremacy, which the hegemonic power at the time thought was a good thing. And we're rewriting history in the sense that we're trying to make our public landscape comport to a world we live in now where the majority position, I fucking hope, is that white supremacy was bad and not worth fighting for. Yep. Well put. No, history is just it's 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 what happened. It's written in stone. It's what Moses handed down, um, and it's just yeah. It's what it's Ken Burns. If you've seen the, the PBS documentary, that's history. How yes. about if you have monuments of uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest and uh, gangster style rappers <laughs> <laughs> to appease both sides? Well, we were talking about this the other day. Like, I would I I I would like to build the statues of the future dedicated to uh, the online weirdos who we've come to know and revere <laughs> so much. John King Dave. Uh, Kim.com. Kim.com. Kim. Dan Quinn. Popcorn. Popcorn. Uh, Costco Baba. D- Demonious X. Demonious <laughs> X. Yeah. All the Shanley. real heroes. Shanley. <laughs> Shanley. Yeah. yeah, dude. All the best ones. All the best ones. Because, you know, talk about assigning value to something. 
They they are who shaped our culture. We should they, put that in the book as, as like an, another thing for history. We need to build actually, all these statues. I actually had an idea for the genius section to do do like you know geniuses of our times and just do profiles of uh, oh, extre- folks. You're getting a little inside extremely scoop here. online weirdos. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I finished like the main body to the brain genius. Thing I'm gonna add to it. <laughs> All right, before we give away too much uh, check back too in, much gold, check in back one in. year, <laughs> we haven't done that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, guys, uh, wrap it up for this week. Yep. Okay, Leslie. Check out, yeah, check out Struggle Session. By yeah, check yeah. out Leslie's Leslie, you want to do a plug? Yeah, so um, Struggle Session is, um, somebody described it as Chapel Trap House meets Red Lair Media. We're good with that. Basically, we want to cover like popular culture, gaming, movies, film, etc., from a leftist perspective, but not like telling you that every you you should feel guilty for like watch, watching superhero movies. No, we that's why it's a struggle session. You have to <laughs> mix you have to uh, you know take the fact that all your favorite superheroes are fascists and owned by <laughs> and owned by corporations and the fact that you spend all your free uh spare money on them. But yes. you're still you can still be a good leftist and do that. And I want to say, you know, there's a lot of anti-gamer um Gamer American um, bigotry <laughs> on the left <laughs> and certain uh, leftist podcasts. So, <laughs> people being concerned for the future of this country and wanting the gamer scourge to be limited in the damage that it inflicts. Let me just say, if you want to come on, if you're tired of your co-host rubbing his hands uh, on the podcast <laughs> talking about how gamers are scourge on the earth, come to Struggle Session. <laughs> We're going to lose Felix to Struggle Session. We don't uh, let him talk about gaming. Yeah, this is my Aldrich Ames moment. Yeah. <laughs> Defecting. All right, guys. Till next week. Yeah. Hasta la pronto. Talk to you soon, everybody. Bye. 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 Peace. <laughs>